0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast, and I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to talk about the need for membership in a faithful congregation. Here recently, we have uh, a couple, uh, the Lovets, uh, Paul, who you'll be hearing from in a podcast likely October, November uh, range, uh, and his wife have joined the congregation here, and it was just a, a great thing that... Uh, we met them years ago as they were coming through El Paso in the military, and they have been in different places. I think after they left here it was Arizona and Korea and uh, Maryland, and they've spent years working their way back here to El Paso and, and to stay here just to be members of the congregation here, and it's just great uh, to see that, great to see the work that they put into. To get back here to be part of the fellowship here great to have them as members of the congregation just exciting times and as i'm thinking about that excitement and, and just how great it is for our local family here to grow in such a way i also think about how in recent years people have more so isolated themselves they've walked away from the need to be part of a congregation and and there's a lot of factors due to that covid 19 And then all the churches that absolutely, sinfully decided to do things like online worship services, which are absolutely, contradictively uh, against the Bible. And listen, if you're part of a congregation that did that, that is a very first principle error. I mean, the command to assemble that we're going to talk about here a little bit later uh, in, in this podcast Is abundantly clear. The need for assembling together at least once a week is abundantly clear. And if leadership in a congregation do not understand that, then you probably have thousands of things that they're teaching and practicing are wrong. You should run like that place is on fire. And by that place, I mean that local body. If you're part of anybody that has or has continued to do that, Um, And and you you ought to be afraid. You ought to be afraid. So I want to come into our subject matter before I go off and beat that drum too hard. Being part of a faithful congregation. I want to talk about the need of that. The, The reasons behind it, aside from the obvious instruction that we will talk about as well. But I want to start off with why I'm saying a faithful congregation. It is a biblical fact that few will be saved. Now, now I'm I'm just going to read you scriptures here, okay? This is not Brian's opinion. This is what Jesus Christ himself taught. He said in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. In Luke 13, Verses 23 and 24. Then said one of them, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. That's clear. That's clear. With that clear fact, you cannot assume. That it's easy to find a faithful congregation because there are few that are saved. And think about b- biblically few. You know, in 1 Peter 3 20 and 21 it says, which sometimes were disobedient once, once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, wherein the ark was praying, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Like figure, whereunto to even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Few, and then when you think about the few, and Genesis 7:13 says, "In the self same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, into the ark." That's who the eight were. It wasn't Noah's fault. Noah wasn't negligent. Noah wasn't somehow hiding the fact that the ark was going to be the vessel of salvation. In fact, when Peter, in a context talking about false teachers, wrote concerning Noah, he said in 2 Peter two five, Spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Few. Eight. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18, a parable about a widow that was very persistent and pestering a judge, and he was teaching about prayer contextually. After he expresses those lessons, he brings this point up in Luke 18 and verse 8. He's talking about the judge and says, I tell you that he will avenge him speedily. Then he makes this point. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Why would Jesus put out that question? Because few there be that find it. That's why he put that question out there, to make the listener to reason. Think about this. If I'm looking for a congregation, I need to identify the fact that they're not in abundance, and they haven't been. Even when you think about the first century, when Christianity was in its infancy, when there were apostles working with congregations. Think about Antioch, Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, etc. These were all congregations in error, in the infancy of the faith. Without the abundance of doctrines that we find around us today, in the infancy of the church, false doctrine, problems in Corinth. I mean, I, I, Corinth is like the potpourri of sin when you read First and Second Corinthians. The elevation of men, chapters one, two, three, and four. The the fornicator that's among them in chapter five, taking one another to court, chapter six, back to fornication in chapter six and through chapter seven, talking about the need for married, being married. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, among other things, authorized liberties, the misunderstanding of authorized liberties, that you can eat meats and, and ask no question for conscience sake, and all that was taught in those contexts. The abuse of the role of men and women in chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, and talking about why a woman ought to have long hair. Hair is given to her for a covering. Well, why is that? Because her headship is man. And, and the misuse and abuse of authority. Then in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 16 through 34, how they, they divided over the Lord's Supper. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, the misuse, abuse, and misunderstanding of the spiritual gifts that they had. Chapter 15, the misunderstanding, the denial of the resurrection of Christ and the corrections that had to go there from there. I mean, Corinth is a mess. Chapter 16, take up a collection, follow what was taught to the churches of Galatia, help your brethren, then the reminder that they had to do it in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I mean, just a mess. That's in the infancy of the church. What do you think has happened when Paul, in the first century, warned the evangelist Timothy that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, 2 Timothy 3, 13, Now, here we are nearly 2,000 years later with an abundance of religions, abuses of the faith, churches that pop up everywhere with all kinds of different doctrines. I mean, you you just imagine it. And there's some type of group of people out there that are teaching whatever you imagined. Wow, right? If there were few saved then and apostasy was rampant then, what do you think about now? Things got better? Oh, the scriptures warn us that there were, and then in the first century, saying going forward, many false brethren. So, so listen to this, and and we're gonna, I'm gonna read you the scriptures to prove this out, but just reason with me for a minute. If there are few saved, and there were many in the first century that were false brethren, and things. Wax worse and worse. What do you think that means of today? So in Acts chapter twenty, Paul is meeting with the elders in Ephesus. Tells them in twenty-eight through thirty-one, take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Ghost made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. To draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by, by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So after he previously warned them for three years, he again is warning them about people, those among them that are going to rise and be false, as well as those that would try to come in from the outside. And Galatians chapter two. Now this is written to people that were so soon removed from the gospel of Christ already, Galatians one and Galatians 2, 1-5, Paul says, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them that were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, they might bring us unto bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Hmm. False brethren who came in unawares, sneaky, privily, to spy out the liberty. 1 Timothy 4.1. To the evangelist Timothy, Paul says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead His appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned into fables. But watch thou all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry. Peter, in second Peter 2, 1 through 3, says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Not he didn't say there might be. He said there shall be. He's telling Christians in the first century, there shall be false teachers among you, notice, who privily, again, there we have the secrecy, right, shall bring indemnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. This is like what John wars, warns about in 1 John chapter 2 and, and 4 and 2 John 1 7 about those that are anti-Christ that were in the first century and Continue to be to this day, even I and the Lord that brought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with vain words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, their damnation slumbereth not. The book of Jude. People know that they're to earnestly contend for the faith. But why? Because Jude, verse 3 teaches teaches Christians earnestly contend for the faith. Yes. Verse 4 is the why. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained into condemnation, ungodly men turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Many false brethren. Well, how do you identify it? They're sneaky, right? Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is soon down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. You know, I want to give you a heads up next Tuesday, if all goes according to plan, and next Tuesday comes, I'm planning on doing a podcast on problems with congregational directories. Whether you're a Methodist, or a Baptist, or Catholic, or Pentecostal, whatever, you know, a, a lot of different people that call themselves things, if you're among churches of Christ, there are these church directories. You know, give you an example, um, Last year, got a phone call from uh, a man that was moving from um, the West Coast to uh, the El Paso area, and they were going to do some traveling first, and he said, I found the... I asked him, How, how'd you get my number? He said, I found it in a church directory. <laughs> I said, well, we didn't list ourselves in any church directory, uh, so tell me exactly what it is, you know, you're looking for. Um, don't know, you know, he said there were two congregations in that directory. Well, there's not another sound congregation of God's people in El Paso. Uh, so whatever directory that is, they got it wrong. We don't, we, there's, there's no other congregation here in El Paso that's practicing the truth. Uh, anyway, long story short, all that mattered to this guy is if the church was in the conservative church directory. I don't know what the name of the directory he had or was using, but that's what mattered to him. That the congregation was listed there. He had no questions about our practices. For all he knows, we're sacrificing goats on Saturdays. He didn't care. As long as it's in the directory. What Jesus say? You should know them by if they're in the directory, right? No. By their fruit. We're gonna get into that uh, next Tuesday. I hope you'll tune back in to listen. But back to our discussion before we even get into talking about the reasons you need to assemble with and be, be part of a faithful congregation. We need to be reminded fewer saved, many false brethren exist, that we identify them by their works. And then here's a big point. Fellowship matters. It matters. Um, we don't meet in a building here in El Paso, so we don't have a sign on, on our building. We, we used to put a sign up uh, on the garage door where we, where we assemble, but our time changed, so the sign's not accurate anymore, so we didn't even have that up anymore. Um, back to my point, though, that I was about to make. The sign on a building does not identify God's people or being in a directory or certain types of things. And this matters. God cares and has always cared about who his people have fellowship with. Follow with me as we, we, we just... Old oh, and New Testament scriptures, the psalmist in Psalm 26, 4 and 5 says, I have not sat with vain persons. Neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Later, a psalm, Psalm 119, verse 115, says, Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, Solomon pens these inspired words, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. The faithful prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, says, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me with the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not... In the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoice. I sat alone because of thy hand, for as thou hast filled me with indignation. It is better, and I know this might come across as contrary to the point of the podcast, but it's better not to assemble at all than to assemble in error with people that are in error. You know, we we had people that moved here years ago. If you go back and you listen to Bill Ard's uh, podcast with me, um, there was a point in time where I can't remember what several weeks or what it was in time period where they couldn't find a congregation in Mississippi. They didn't assemble. They were scared. They knew they weren't living right. They moved here to El Paso as fast as they could to assemble with faithful Christians because they got these points. And you know what? They get them better now. Uh, They understand them better now. Do you? Listen to Amos's rhetorical question. In Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Hmm. Hmm. You know, pretty obvious point, right? Well, what about those that teach doctrines that are contrary to the truth? Are you supposed to assemble with them? Well, Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine to which you have learned, and avoid them. You hear that? It doesn't say assemble with them, it says avoid them. It goes on in verse 18 For they are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Not assemble with them, avoid them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 7, 1. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Right, right there. I mean, like this is the end-all point, isn't it? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with the infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I would dwell with them. And them, and walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, be a father unto you, shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, chapter 7, verse 1, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Are you seeing the pattern here? Whether it's Old or New Testament, don't be among sinners. Don't assemble with the sinners. Don't have fellowship with the sinners. Come out from them. Be separate. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, "...let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For you sometimes darkness, but now you light and Lord walk as children of light." For the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable in the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't have fellowship with them. Expose them. First Timothy five twenty-two. Paul tells Timothy, an individual evangelist, lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sin. Keep thyself pure. In 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, same epistle. It says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of word, wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surviving, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such a symbol. No. It says, From such, Withdraw thyself. This isn't congregational discipline. This is an individual removing himself from those that do not consent to the truth. And 2 John verses 9 through 11 here is, is talking about even people come to your home. This isn't even talking about a congregation. So think about this. Even people you would invite to your home, whosoever transgresseth, this is 2 John 9 through 11, whosoever transgresseth abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Hath not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both Father and Son. If there come into you to, any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him God be, for he that bid him God be, is partaker of his evil deeds. How can you hear that and think, well, yeah, but I'm assembling with the best congregation in my community? You need to leave. Come out from among them and be separate. You're not supposed to even bring that; those people who aren't abiding in the doctrine of Christ into your home. Finally, along this point, Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This written to a congregation, and the point here in Pergamos is a problem with the congregation because of who was among them. It says, I have a few things against thee because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice and idols and commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which things I hate. Repent or else I will come to thee quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. They were in error. Why? They had people that believed false doctrines In their fellowship, in their assembly. It's not to be ignored, set aside, it's to be dealt with. Now, with all of that in mind, and and that was kind of a lesson in itself, wasn't it? Let's consider the need and the benefits of, of being a member of a faithful congregation. And what I mean by a congregation, because we know when somebody obeys the gospel, the Lord adds them to the church, Acts 2.47. Now, there's a sense in which, you know, we talk about the church from a biblical standpoint where you're either talking about the local congregation, a, an assembly like the church that was in Corinth or in Rome or uh, in Thessalonica, or there's also the sense of all the saved together, both those that are alive and those that are dead, including heaven, the heavenly realm. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, 22 and 23 says, you're coming to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. That is the sense of, if I am a Christian, I am part of the entirety of God's family. The family that is in heaven and earth, Ephesians 3 and verse 15. But then there's also the sense of the local body. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. Now, this is part of a corrective text, but it it will bring out a point. Paul says, first of all, when you come together in the church, the, the ecclesia there, the assembly, I hear there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. When I'm talking about being part of a faithful congregation here, this is what I'm talking about. People that assemble together locally. In 1 Corinthians 14, 23, again, a text where they're being corrected because the abuse of spiritual gifts. He said, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and I'll speak with tongues. They're coming unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that they're mad? So I am talking about that sense. The, the, the congregation, the church that comes together in one place. When we look at Christianity in the first century, whether it's you're starting in Acts 2 or you're going through the book of Revelation, local congregation membership is clearly evident and essential. We're going to start with the obvious point, which I alluded to earlier when I kind of started to harp a little bit on those churches that have aired with their online worship concept. You cannot do it. The very nature of assembling, epicynagogue, or uh, goge, however you pronounce the Greek word that we're going to be talking about here just momentarily, is a meeting for worship, an assembling together, a gathering in one place An assembly of Christians. If you pull up whatever Greek dictionary you want, if you're going to use Strong's numbers, it's 1996. That's the definitions you're going to find. The gathering together, not in any way, shape, or form being outside of of coming together. That's not virtually possible. Okay? It is an in person activity. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Listen to the language says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Contextually, the day approaching is the destruction of Jerusalem. They could see that it was coming, because Jesus gave the signs in Matthew twenty four, one through thirty four, and the essentiality of them coming together as a body of Christians regularly and in the necessity of it even the more as persecution was increasing and destruction was on the horizon. The command not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together with the expectation like we saw in Corinth that you're coming together into one place. Very clear. When you look at that Greek word, that Strong's number 1996, it is otherwise translated as gathering together. Unrelated to the local church, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. When Jesus comes, we're going to be brought up together with him. That's not just one member or two members. When we look at what the church is, it's the collective. If you have just a few, you know, there are people that will say, well, where there are two or three gathered together, and that's part of the ideology that's used sometimes. I know um, I have seen it on numerous occasions in my far distant past where people would travel and, I mean, I'll just leave it general. Uh, people would travel and they would take uh, juice and, and a cracker and they would stop on a Sunday at a rest stop and sing some song and they would snap the cracker and, and give thanks and eat it and take the juice and spread it around and give thanks and drink it and then have a short Bible reading and then hop back out on that highway and keep traveling and say, Well, we assembled. And their ideology behind that is where there are two or three gathered together, their mind amidst them. Listen to me. That is not in the context of the assembling of the church for worship. And the context shows the difference between two or three and the whole congregation. I want you to listen, to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. The context, because verse 20 is that verse that people often use. Listen to the context. Moreover, Matthew 18, 15. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So you have two Christians talking. Okay? Is that the assembly of the church? Wait. Verse 16. If he will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So now you have four Christians talking. Is that the church? Verse 17, if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, obviously two or four is not the church. It's not the assembly. he says, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be in the heathen and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on the earth shall be loose in heaven. And I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask it, and it shall be done of them, my Father, which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, they are mine in the midst of them. What's that verse about? It's about two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses making fact in relating to withdrawing from a Christian that has sinned in a private manner that must needs be made public. It's not about worship. It's about witnesses. And even that action of the withdrawing process required the whole church being assembled before that action can come to completion. Look at how people abuse scriptures. Listen, 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 listen. If you're part of a congregation with leadership that makes errors like that, There are many other errors you're not catching because that's not difficult. That's just context. Imagine what they're doing with more difficult things in the Scriptures if they're obviously oblivious to the simple things. I'm going to try not to go off the rails here a little bit and change, but... The church in the sense of the local, is the assembly together of Christians in one place. When we're talking about the church in the local sense, we're talking about members one of another. And our Lord uses imagery of the human body. Could you imagine tearing off your arms and your legs Sending them to different parts of town and having them virtually assemble? No. No. You bleed to death. They wouldn't work. Why? Because they're not attached to the body. What is the essentiality of coming together? It's to be attached. Okay? Notice the imagery that is used. And from that, you should have a brain that functions well enough to see that it's essential for you being member of the body to be together. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have that same office, so we, being many, are the one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another if you cut off your left arm, your right arm, your left leg, and your right leg, and you plant them in different parts of town, and you never come back together, are they part of your body? No. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the context, the greater context, spiritual gifts. But listen to the language, the imagery that's used in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27. It says, for the body is not one member, but many. "...if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them body, as it has pleased him. And if there were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members... "'Yet but one body, the eye cannot say unto the hand, "'I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, "'I have no need of you. "'Nay, much more, those members of the body "'which seem to be more feeble are necessary, "'and those members of the body "'which we think to be less honorable, "'upon these we bestow more abundant honor, "'and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, "'for our comely parts have no need, "'but God hath tempered the body together,' having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, meaning no division, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice in it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. I mean, come on, that imagery is clear. Again, the context of spiritual gifts that God put everybody in Corinth in the position that they should have been relative to their spiritual gifts. But hey, you need to be together as one body. The eye, the ear, the foot, all essential. One body. That imagery. One body. You just can't get past the coming together of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 11, verses 22 to 26, tidings of these things came to the ears of the churches in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And Acts 14, 27, when they, Paul and Barnabas, were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all God done with them, how he opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Folks, you just, point proven, right? Point proven. We're a body. If you're a Christian, you need to be part of the local body. Plain and clear. I I don't want to stop there. I want to give you thoughts, make you think. Maybe you have heard the foolishness from somebody that all that matters is dot, 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 or you can do this or you can do that. Um, There are a lot of people that think i can be a christian and i can worship god my own way being part of a congregation is not just about worship assembling with the saints is not just about worship just think about what we read in hebrews 10:23 through 25 to consider one another to provoke one another to love to provoke one another to good works to exhort one another. It's not just about coming together to praise God, worship God, to remember God, to hear the word preached. I know those things are emphasized by ignorant people. But the coming together is the most important part. Working and growing together, that's part of God's pattern for his people. And Ephesians four fifteen and 16 says, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, notice this, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make the increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. Growing up together, compacted together, working every part together, unto edification, the building up process, being perfectly joined together in a unified manner. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that y'all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Perfectly joined together together, folks. When Paul wrote the saints in Philippi in Philippians 2, he said in verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Together, unified, of one mind. Learning together. When Antioch erred, in Acts 15, the uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas came back and met with the uh, congregation in Jerusalem. The whole church, not just the elders, not just the apostles. whole church was part of this. They wrote a letter to send to Antioch. And Acts 15, 30 and 31 says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Learning together. Reading the word of God together. In Colossians 4, as the epistle to the church in Colossae is nearing being concluded, verse 16 says, when this epistle is read among you, notice it's, it's not like, hey, distribute this from house to house. They came together. They assembled together for the reading of this epistle. Then it says, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodicea's, Laodiceans and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea so exchange letters and read them in the assembly what's that show you that it's essential for Christians to come together now when I talk to people about this they'll often say yeah 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 I know the Lord's Supper yeah people tend to understand that the well let me rephrase this because well, I was about to say, I, I don't think is is accurate. Hmm, how do I phrase this? People seem to be able to get the concept that the Lord's Supper is to be taken in the assembly. The concept, I say, because what their practices don't really show that they get it fully. You know, they, they might be able to cite Acts 20 and verse 7 that the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread, but they tend to miss the coming together part because a lot of those churches will have makeup servings of the Lord's Supper or, or they'll take it to nursing homes and different things and err in those ways. They miss the part that when the church in Corinth was being corrected about their abuse of the Lord's Supper, they were told in 1 Corinthians 11, my brethren, when you come together to eat tarry for one another, it's, that, it's essential that the Lord's Supper be partaken of in the assembly by all the saints. It's part of what is done every first day of the week. And, and that, that should be an obvious point. Another should be obvious point is you're to speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians five nineteen. 19. Hey, we need to be together. We need to be together. I'm not going to talk about those points because if those points aren't understood, and and if you're listening to this, um, if you don't understand that those points, you got a lot you're going to need to fix. Get a hold of me so we can have some studies. If you do understand those points, I want you to think about other reasons why Christians come together. Things that are done things that are accomplished besides, quote-unquote, worship. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the saints in Thessalonica say in verses 11 through 14, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. This is done together, comforting one another, edifying one another, knowing the people that are working among you, being at peace, warning, supporting, enduring with. This is done together. It's essential that Christians meet together for these reasons in addition to, quote unquote, "worship or Bible study. In First Peter chapter three, verse eight, says finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. When we come together, we unify. We're able to know what's going on in each other's lives. You know it's kind of frustrating to me what I've seen over the years um, is people that profess to be Christians. they will come to the assembly and they'll show up a couple of minutes before things are supposed to start or a couple of minutes after. Then they leave abruptly, and they think, I've checked the box. No, you haven't. You may have, quote-unquote, worshipped or been part of a Bible study, but what about all these other things that we're talking about in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14? What if I'm not talking to my brethren? What if I'm not able to encourage them because... I'm not talking to them. I'm not. We're just passing each other on our way to seats. What if we're not having open dialogue in a Bible study setting where somebody can ask a question, express a concern, learn something about each other? Y'all be learning, growing, knowing one another so that you can do the things that are supposed to be done. I can't have compassion on somebody when I don't know what they're going through. If my sister in crisis hurt her back, but she's sitting down when I walk in and sitting down when I walk out, I don't know that. You know how I'm gonna know that? Hey, how you doing? Well, you know, Hurt my back, but other than that, well, what happened? I need to care. How else can I show compassion? on that sister in Christ? What if my brother's just had a bad week, has a look on his face, but hey, it's not between opening and closing prayer, so I don't care. You think that's Christianity? What about compassion one another? What about comfort for one another? And I'm not saying it's possible to talk to every member of of the congregation every time the congregation assembles, But you ought to be able to recognize that you are severely failing if you're not talking to any of the brethren at any of the assemblies, especially if you're not in the assembly. In Philippians 1 and verse 27, it says, "...only let your conversation be as it become the gospel of Christ." So your conduct as becoming the gospel, is the point. "...that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind Notice striving together for the faith of the gospel. How can we fight together if we're never side by side? How? How do you join a battle that you keep your distance from? As Christians, we ought to come together side by side in the fight against darkness. Can't do that if you're not together. In the infancy of the church, first congregation on earth, Acts 2, 44, and speaking of a different, unique situation, get that, you know, one congregation on earth, but there's still something I want to emphasize here. All that believed were together. They had all things common. I was talking about their physical possessions. But they were together. How often are you together with faithful Christians? They were together. In Romans 12 and verse 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. How do you do that if you're not among the saints? How do you show kind affection to people you're not among? How do you know what's going on? How do you establish brotherly love from a distance? Don't think that you're doing that over television or a computer screen or whatever else the case may be. You've kept your distance from being a member of the body. What about spiritual needs? In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. How do you do that when you're not among the saints? You don't even know somebody's been overtaken in a fall. It's like kind of carries with it the idea that they've been caught off guard. If you're spiritual, you need to work in the restoration of that brother or sister in Christ so that they're not lost. How do you bear their burdens? You don't even know they have them. You've kept your distance. You're 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 thinking I'm keeping my faith between God and me, and and and, and we're alone in this journey. What do you think heaven's going to be like? You think heaven's going to be God saying, you have your corner over there? Listen to to carefully what I'm about to say. Hell no. And I bring up hell for a reason. Because if you think that you're showing God on earth that you do not want to be among his other children, he's going to have you into his heavenly home, No. Hell is where you're headed. You thought about that? You've transgressed if you're not among God's people. How do you, and not just the spiritual things, you know, we talk about the spiritual needs in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. What about the physical? In 1 John 3, 14 through 18, says, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we'll have to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How are you going to be a doer of helping your brethren? You're not among them. Are you going to see that there is a need? You're not. You're not going to see it. Brother walks into the assembly, limps, goes and sits down. You come in or you don't. And we're kind of talking about the people that don't, but I want to harp on this point too. You come in right as it's time to begin Bible study, worship, whatever the congregation's doing in that assembly you didn't see anybody limping, you get up right away and you jet. Got other things to do. More important things to accomplish. You don't see that brother have a hard time getting up. Someone else does. And by the way, if you're not in the assembly, you don't see it at all. You don't even have a chance to, by chance, see it. Someone else does. Walks over to that brother and says, hey, what's wrong? I saw you limping. Oh, you know what? I um, hurt my ankle. It's swollen up really bad, but can't afford to go to the doctor. You know what a faithful child of God does? Well, let me help you. If I don't have the financial means, let me get some others too. Let us help you. Acts 1127 27 to 30, by the way. Let us help you. Either me or we but I only see that need because we're together. Let me help you. Let me pay for the urgent care. Let us pay for the urgent care. Let me take you. Are you driving like that? Yeah, very difficult. Let me help you. Let me pick you up. Let me take you where you need to go. Let me get, you gotta go, to, you need groceries. Okay, let me help you. That's brotherly love that can never be practiced. If you're not among the saints to see that there is a need. You see, it's about more than worship. It's about more than Bible study. It's about family. It's about family. Folks, please hear this. You've got to be part of a faithful congregation to please God I went through like seven or eight different instructions apart from worship, just now with scriptures that you absolutely cannot fulfill if you're not among the saints. There could be more. I mean, I think of scriptures like Psalm 133:1, 1, an Old Testament passage. You know, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Together. Wow. Together. If you're out there, virtual land, listening to this podcast, and you're not assembling with a faithful congregation, you need to fix that now. You need to fix that now. As difficult as it may be, As challenging as it may be, it may require you up and move somewhere. Isn't heaven worth it? Isn't pleasing God worth it? And you know the beauty. Once you find faithful brethren, you're part of a family that is eternal. It's wonderful to meet regularly with a group of people that you will be together with forever that when life in this world ends, you know you'll be with them in eternity. And you've already put in the work of being a family. You've shown God, you've shown the Father above that you can dwell together in peace and harmony with faithful Christians. You've shown God that you care more than a quick check-off list. You know, I've met people, we need to do this many acts of worship. And as soon as they check those boxes, it's time to get back to life in this world. Where do you think that's going to put you eternally? Not a real hard question to answer. Not a real hard question to answer. God created the instructions of assembling, the requirements of being together, all the implications that we've talked about in in this podcast, or reason. He expects brethren to be together. I hope this lesson hits home for you. I am very appreciative of being not just an evangelist, but a member of a faithful congregation, of having brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritually and physically, look to and depend upon. If you don't have that, you're missing something huge huge. Just fix it. And it's not just a suggestion. As we've gone forward through these scriptures, it's a requirement of God. If you've got some questions, maybe we've hit on, hit on something in this podcast give you some questions. Call me up. Phone number is 915-525-5794. You can email me, brian at words of truth.net, or visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. But ultimately, it'd be better if we could talk. If you're anywhere out here in West Texas or New Mexico or Arizona and not too far from me, uh, we can can pick a place, time, and meet up and talk in person, open the Bible and see what God has to say. I don't mind your questions. The Bible has the answers. I'd love to talk to you. Thankful that you've tuned in to listen. Uh, If all goes according to plan, the next podcast will be on Sunday. I hope you'll tune back in then. Thank you very much.